You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Father God, thank you so much for the book of Ephesians. and uh, God, we just pray that you would come and that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us and challenge us through your word. Trust, O oh Lord, that your word is powerful beyond measure and that for people who are just journeying uh, through this life on this earth, that your word comes and speaks to us and fills us freshly and challenges us and makes change. So God, I pray that you would do those things. And I'm asking God that you would take the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth and that you would Cause them to do good among your people and bring honor and glory to your name. Trust that you would do that because this is your word. I know that when your word is open, you speak. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would speak knowing that that is what every one of us needs the most this week is to hear from you. So remove me and speak to us, Lord God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around the room. Do it actively right now. Look around the room. Look around the room, catch people's eyes, look at somebody, right? Look around the room. Very good. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Now, I had you do that on purpose because what I want you to do here in a moment is I want you to imagine some things. I want you to look around the room of your relational community in your mind. So if you need to close your eyes and imagine that, do that. Look around the room of your relational community in your mind just for a minute. This might be your friends, your family, it might be your gospel community, it might be your church family here, it might be a leadership team that you serve on. As you picture that room of relationship, I want you to envision or imagine who is in that room. I want you to think about who should be in the room, and I want you to think about who you think will never be in the room. Who's in that room with you right now? Who do you want, desperately want to be in that room with you? Who, who, who do you think, who have you lost hope in? That person will never be in that room of your relational community. I'll be uh, 40 years old here in just a few weeks. <laughs> 40. Some of you are like, you are a spring chicken. <laughs> and some of you are like, you are an old man. I know. <laughs> My life is probably at least half over. Over the years, uh, the contours of my relational rooms have changed. I've spent a lot of time in a broken family room, right? I spent some years in a rebellious teenager room. I spent a few years in a violent, dangerous, drug-dealing, main-drag, cruising, beer-drinking, biker room. By God's grace, over the last uh, almost 18 years, I mean, I've spent... <coughs> time in a room uh, full of Christians. Nearly 15 of those years, of those 18 years, been in a room full of pastors and other church planters and other ministry leaders. One of the things that floors me every time as I think about that is, is the many times that I am standing in a room full of people that I thought I would never be in the same room with. You ever stop to let that reality sink in? Let that reality sink in as it pertains to the body of Christ. Like, like, look around the room right now. Just had you do it. Do it again. Look around the room. 
Like, did you ever think in a million years that you would be in this room with these people, <laughs> with us? Um, did any of us ever really think, man, I'm going to be in the room with these folks? I mean, um, <coughs> who, do you, who do you wish was here right now? Who, who, would, you, who would you be shocked by? Who, who would shock you if they walked in this room right now and began worshiping with us? Now, I look around in the room of our church family, and as I wrote this and prepped this, I, I was kind of trying to visualize it myself, and this funny kind of thought struck me. I mean, like, after five years of planning, I'm pretty shocked. <laughs> I'm pretty shocked about this room of, of people. Um, I, 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 I never in a million years thought this room would be full of you people. <laughs> I don't, and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm not saying that in like a despair way. Uh, I'm saying of the tone of like utter surprise, and Will's walking out now, so <laughs> he's like, I'm out. <laughs> um, I, I, so I really, I'm saying with the tone of utter surprise. Um, like from the get-go, I think I envisioned a room full of different people. Um, God, God removed uh, my preconceptions or my, or my misconceptions over the years of who would be in this room of our church family. Man, I look around this room, and I, I catch some of you by eye. I see some of your faces. I see many of you I don't know, um, and some of you I do know. Um, most of you I didn't know five years ago. And I think, what a gift you are to me. And what a gift you are to each other. And what a gift you are to the body of Christ. <coughs> and for me, like some of you are now close neighbors. One of you lives right next door to me. <laughs> and we both bought our houses so we can't get away from each other unless one of us sells and moves out of town or defaults or something like that. I don't know. And there's one that's on the phone over here that... She's listening via teleconference, something who lives down the street as well. Um, and so, I mean, some of you just become close neighbors even, moved into the same stinking neighborhood. How crazy is that? And some of you have actually moved into the community to help plant a church. That's crazy. Like, like who wants to move from another community to this community, Hastings, Nebraska, to help plant a church? Um, some of you I'm just getting to know. There's very few of you I've known for, for almost 10 years, I think, right? Brandon, I think almost 10 years. It's a long time. By God's grace, many of us sitting together here in this room, man, we've, we've walked through hell and high water together, right? <coughs> for, for those of you that are just joining us, get ready, because the ride is amazing when you think about planting churches. If I'm honest, and I think if we're honest with each other, we weren't seeking each other out for friendship five years ago. Um, the Lord just did what he does, right? God just did what he does when he broke down whatever barriers might have existed previously between you and I and us. Here we are in the same room together, worshiping the same God together, proclaiming the same hope together. And that's exactly what the message of the gospel does. That's exactly what the message of the cross of Christ is all about. Like the cross of Christ reveals this big topic of peace and reconciliation. The cross of Christ provides vertical peace between God and us. And then it creates, words chosen intentionally, provides and then creates horizontal peace 
between believers. Paul says it this way, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, says, For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. As I said before, the key theme in this passage is peace. In the message of the gospel, the cross of Christ provides vertical peace between us and God, and then it creates horizontal peace between believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look at this text, you see that Paul uses the word peace four times. And all of his phrases in this passage, they either are synonymous or contrasting ways of describing peace. Really, all Paul does is just describe peace over and over and over and over again. And he uses all of this language in these verses to paint this picture of peace so that we can grasp the gravity of what peace is and what peace produces. The first question that you'll see on your handout and on the screen in front of you that I asked as I'm looking at this passage is, is where does true peace come from? (laughs) Where does true peace come from? Oftentimes when I'm struggling uh, through an intense season of conflict or, or fear or, or insecurity, um, I, mean, I begin to desire peace amidst the storm. Anybody there with me? Right? When life gets fearful, scary, insecure, conflicted, you desire peace amidst that storm. And when I feel like the ship of my relational life is on shaky ground, anybody ever experienced that where you're, the ship of your relational life is on shaky ground. You're at war with someone. Relationship falls apart. Marriage is on the rocks. Somebody sends you a nasty Facebook post. I don't know, whatever it is. Your relational life gets on the rocks. Begin to desire that, that calming effect of a, of a peaceful presence in the midst of that, right? When I begin to wrestle with these emotions, these desires, man, I begin to feel like a little bit like the disciples, Remember the disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm? Where's Jesus at? May remember? Sleeping. Yeah, there's a couple of different stories. I know it threw you off, threw you all off. A couple of different stories of disciples in boats, and Jesus is either walking on the water or he's up on the beach cooking breakfast, right? In this one that I'm thinking of, Jesus is sleeping down below. Right? Like so when I begin to wrestle sometimes, I begin to feel like those disciples, like. Jesus, are you sleeping on the job? Like, what is going on here? Would you please come and calm the waves of this storm and make this go away so I can live in peace, right? Ever think that way? I think that way oftentimes. begin to wonder whether or not Jesus is actually going to calm the waves of that storm. <clears throat> and in many ways, the Ephesian church, as we look at Ephesians, as we look at this passage, in many ways, the Ephesian church was facing storms on various different levels like this. Scholars comment on this passage, and they say that the Ephesian church is basically a ragtag, a bunch of people from various different social and ethnic and religious backgrounds. It was a melting pot from different values, um, different experiences, 
different deeply held belief systems. In many ways, the the Ephesian church uh, was a recipe for some of the greatest relational storms that you and I could ever imagine. You think about it. The most tumultuous dividing lines we see uh, in in humanity at times, I think, um, were, were present in the Ephesian church. It was religious and ethnic in nature. <clears throat> Think of the picture of a man and a woman from different ethnic backgrounds with different religious upbringings. How difficult that can be. How hard that can be. Because you bring different values to the table, right? In, the, in our text, what we see in the Ephesian church is we see Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were Jewish in ethnicity. They were staunch in their deeply held conservative religious practices. And then you had the Gentiles, right? Gentiles were a crazy bunch of people. Mixed ethnicities. <laughs> they were accustomed to what might appear to be a more liberal set of religious values. This was a recipe for all-out war among people. Like, if, if you want to really take this out to its logical conclusion, bring, bring President Obama and President Trump put them in this room. And all, all of the... Ide- ideological representations, right? And have them worshiping the same God. Does that kind of bring some of that seriousness home? I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying that's what's happening in the church in Ephesus. This is what Paul is confronting in this passage. That, that's, that's the way I think we would bring it home for us today. It's a recipe for all out war among people. But the segregation between ethnic and religious groups can be some of the most destructive dividing lines ever. We see this historically throughout the world. We see it in our country right now with racial and ethnic conflict rising to some of the most destructive levels um, that we've seen in years. And whenever I hear another story about another shooter um, killing a bunch of people or another car getting driven into a crowd of people or another group of people attacking another group of people or another marriage that falls apart, or another friendship that's on the rocks. I don't know about you, but when I begin to feel this like anxious tightening in my chest, um, and what we're experiencing when that happens is a lack of peace, the presence of conflict, a lack of peace. And when I feel that lack of peace, I begin to ask this question. I, I think you probably ask it too. Where does authentic peace come from? Where can I find peace in the midst of this? Paul says, to open this up, Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus is the embodiment of peace. He is the prince of peace. Jesus is the one who gives us peace that surpasses our understanding. When you and I look at things and we say, I don't understand why this is the way it is, Jesus is our peace that surpasses that understanding. Authentic peace comes from Jesus because he is peace. The second question that I asked as I'm working through this passage is, what is the effect of experiencing true peace? What is the effect In other words, when we experience true peace, (coughs) what happens? What do we see happening? What what happens in the life of someone who has experienced true peace with God? See, when you and I begin to follow Jesus, 
he gives us peace, right? Because he gives us himself. Then he also gives us peace between one another. This is just one of the effects of experiencing true peace. This is why Paul says this. He says, Jesus has made us both one. Jesus has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, Christ's work at the cross removes ethnic and religious and and relational hostility. The gospel of Jesus unites us together in peace and harmony. And look at the person sitting across the table from you right now. That person sitting across the table or across the room from you today, they are there because the gospel of peace unites us, unites us together in a bond that is strong. It cannot be broken. Those people in that church across town, whatever church it is in your mind, those people in that church across town that maybe look and act and and worship differently than us, and they are part of us. They are united to us in the gospel of peace. That person that you think will never cross the doorstep of this church, that person might be here in a year because of the gospel of peace. See, the effect of experiencing true peace in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is unity because Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility that divides us by placing himself on the cross willingly. The dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about and that Christ broke down in his flesh at the cross was something called the law of commandments that was expressed in ordinances. So you think of this rule book that is expressed in practices. That's another way of saying it, right? Rule book that's being expressed in practices. See, ordinances or practices in this regard, they're man-made laws. Don't eat, don't taste, don't touch. How's the, how's the Southern Baptist statement go? Um, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, chew don't date girls that do. Man-made laws. It's not truly a Southern Baptist statement. Somebody please um, be careful of that one. It's not a Southern Baptist statement. It's just the thing about Baptists. Baptists aren't supposed to do those things, and apparently not supposed to date girls do either. Anyways, man-made laws. And, and, And in this case, in the Jewish temple, there literally was a physical dividing wall of hostility, is what it was known as. It was an actual man-made wall that divided the Jews, the Jewish worshipers, from the Gentile worshipers. They were segregated. They were separated. There was a front room for privileged people, and there was a back room for second-rate people, so-called. So-called. It gets my blood boiling when I think about this. Not Not just in context of that, but in context of what I know we struggle with in our country today. Makes my blood boil because I know that Jesus died at the cross for people of every skin color and ethnicity and background and, and experience, every tribe, every town, every nation. That murdered our Savior. There was a back room for quote unquote second rate people. No, no Gentile worshiper was allowed into the special place of the worshiping Jews. The Jews were privileged and the Gentiles quote unquote were not. Jesus, again, destroyed 
all of that when he went to the cross to unite people together. Jesus didn't die on the cross for one special group of people from one special ethnic or religious background. Jesus died at the cross for people from every tribe, every ton, every nation. And a church that lives at war with one another or a church that lives at war with other churches has yet to experience the gospel of true peace in Christ Jesus. So the question is, how are people united then? How are people united in the gospel of peace? It's always got to be a how question, right? How do we get this done? How does it happen? <coughs> how can we actually experience this? And think about this. It's not just, that, not just that Jesus' work at the cross does that work of uniting people, from different backgrounds. Listen, listen. It actually has creative power. The work of the gospel actually has creative power. It doesn't just, it doesn't just uh, cause it to happen. It creates it. The presence of Christ is what creates that unity. Unity is not something that can be contrived. Unity is something that must be created. And listen, you and I can't create that kind of unity. We're called to obediently walk in unity, but you and I do not have the power to create it. Why? Because we're broken. The kind of unity that God wants in his church family here on earth to be the representation of the power of heaven on earth, that can only be created by the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Christ because Christ is unbroken. The gospel doesn't just draw people in together. It also creates brand new people in a brand new place. That's how people move across dividing lines of hostility and become united together as a family. It's about hearts, not behavior. When hearts become brand new, the behavior becomes brand new. Paul says that, Christ broke down the barriers of hostility through his work at the cross so that, if you're looking at the text, he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. True peace is found in Christ. And it's expressed, listen, not in religious practice of segregation, but in a religious practice of desegregation and unity that comes through the creation of brand new people by a perfect savior at the cross the church family should be the one place where all those lines are broken down and we move across them i think there are some people that think that we can somehow pursue reconciliation with one another without experiencing peace first in other words i think what happens oftentimes is that we begin to believe that if we pursue reconciliation, that will produce peace. And I would argue that what the world needs the most is not to pursue reconciliation so that we experience peace. I would say it's that we need to experience the presence of the Prince of Peace so the reconciliation will happen. We get it backwards. See, true peace begins with knowing the person who is peace. 
This is why Paul says that Jesus is our peace and that he has broken down the walls, broken down the barriers of religious and ethnic hostility so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so that that one new man might be, what? Reconciled to God in one body through the cross. See, this is the picture of Christ making all things new. That's what Jesus does, his work at the cross. He makes all things new. As you and I are reconciled to God through the work of Christ at the cross, the hostility between God and us is killed, murdered, destroyed. That hostility that once existed between you and I is put to death. (coughs) We become brand new people, brand new creations in Christ Jesus. The old life of separation from one another passes away. The new life of belonging to one another, because we belong to Christ, begins. So experiencing peace on the horizontal level with other people is a result of experiencing peace vertically with our Father. Broken marriages, broken friendships, shattered families, divided ethnicities, all of these become reconciled as people become new creations in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul says that Jesus preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. Now I want to pause here for just a second. I want to say this. There are many of you in this room, myself included, we live in the tension and in some, t- some regards horror of relationships that are not reconciled right now. I know that. And in some regard, some of us may have to live in that space knowing that that relationship, this side of heaven, may not change. We can hope, we can pray, we can ask. So I realize that part of what I'm preaching today is not going to answer all of our questions. I pray that God brings us some comfort in this, though. And I also just want to let you know that I don't have all the answers when it comes to this. Um, I wish I did. <laughs> I would like to tie all this up in a nice, neat, tidy bow and, and say, hey, marriages that are broken, boom, fixed. You guys know that. You guys know I would love to, right? All of us would love to do that for each other. Friendships that have been destroyed. We'd love to just reconcile that now. Fixed. Done. I don't have that kind of power. Only the Spirit of God does. He may not provide that now. He may provide that in heaven. I will tell you this. In heaven, all of our tears, all of our pain, all of our mourning, all of our sorrow, all of the hurt, all the sin will be gone. I know that's our hope. So as I continue through this, I just want to address that quick. Jesus preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. To the Gentiles were considered as being far off from God, and the Jews were considered as being near to God. But Christ preached peace to each party. Why? He preached peace to each party so that they could become reconciled to God and then reconciled to one another. So that they could become one new body. One of the things I always like to say in our gospel communities when there's like eight to ten people there, right? Um, I always like to say, hey, hey, if one of you is missing next week, it's going to hurt. <coughs> I don't say it to be manipulative or, or be a jerk about things, but we're going to notice that you're not there. The reason why is because we are like one body. We, we, are, we are united together. I need you and you need me. We were created that way. So when somebody is missing from the family, it's hard. 
Those of you who may be older and have kids that have moved out of the house, you know what that pain kind of feels like, right? That's a good thing when they move out, but um, it's that kind of pain. It's that kind of loss. Christ preached peace to each party so that we could become reconciled to God and then reconciled to one another so that we can become one new body. Think about it. One new family. One new creation. One new person together. This is a massive benefit of experiencing true peace. It's not the biggest benefit, though. The question is, what's the biggest benefit? I think in regards to this text, there's an answer. In some regards, this question of what the biggest benefit of experiencing true peace is really exactly what we've been talking about the entire time. It's really, I think, the thing, or it's like the apex of this passage. It's like the crowning piece of what Paul wants to get across to us in this passage. It's the biggest aha moment of the passage. In some regard, that's what we've been doing. It's looking at all the little benefits that are found only in Christ. I think Paul wants to describe one final benefit towards the end. I would argue that it's definitely the biggest benefit of all. I found every way that I could say this three different ways before actually going into it, so I have your attention. <laughs> this is the biggest benefit. See, racial and ethnic and relational reconciliation is super, super important. Big benefit. Massive benefit of experiencing true peace in Christ Jesus. But the biggest benefit of experiencing true peace in Christ is this truth, and it's the final line of the text. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, you and I were once like fatherless children. We were orphans. Can you imagine what that's like, being an orphan? Some of you in this room can know, and you know painfully what that's like. <coughs> Can you imagine the excitement <clears throat> of one of us coming in as a fatherless orphan, a fatherless child. All of us are fatherless children, right, at this point. And one of us comes in one day proclaiming that we're no longer fatherless. The psalm we sing today, no longer slaves. You imagine one person coming in and sharing that. Hey, brother, sister, guess what? I'm no longer fatherless. I found a daddy. And that would be amazing. That's good news. Paul takes it a step further, though. That's really good news. But it's still not the greatest news. Because Paul takes it a step further. He basically says this. He says, hey, hey, it's not just that one of you has found a father and that you're no longer fatherless. The greatest news is that both of you have been found by the same father. And you now have equal access to him together. If that doesn't bring it home for us, the words of one commentator painted the picture for me starkly. This passage is like the picture of a white father with both a white baby and a black baby in his arms, loving them regardless of skin color. Equal access. Equal access. Fatherless people who once were separated 
from each other by the, the sickening division of racial, ethnic, religious divisions. Man, they're now brought together and given the same access to the same Father through the work of Christ Jesus at the cross. What does this truth do to your heart in these moments? When you think of those questions that we opened up with again, who's in the room of your relational community right now? Who do you wish was in the room of your relational community right now? Who do you think will never be in that room of your relational community? I got to experience this in a couple different ways this last week. Some really unexpected ways. On Tuesday night, I was in a room with a bunch of other pastors and ministry leaders. Um, and as we worshiped and prayed and dreamed of what we could do together to proclaim the gospel in our community, um, it was a powerful night. Uh, in that room, man, there, there were men and women that I, I, thought, I, I never really thought that I'd be worshiping God with, praying with, and dreaming about the gospel with. Um, but there was one man in particular in the room that night. Um, he's a pastor in our community. And at one point, he and I were like enemies, all sorts of disagreements. Um, we're about as polar opposite as you could think of in terms of some theological um, agreement, practice, even the places that we live. Um, the place that he lives and the place that I live, radically different sides of town, radical different background. And we had disagreement. We had a falling out. Um, I honestly, for a long time, this went on for a couple of years, thought it was irreparable this side of heaven. I really did. I had resigned myself to that. There was a time that we met a few years back and did resolve the, some of those things, most all those things. He came walking into the room when our eyes met, and we both smiled. We moved towards each other, and we embraced in a hug. Uh, and then we engaged in this conversation over what the Lord had been doing in our community and in our ministries, respectively. And we worshiped together. We prayed together in tears over our community. It was such a tangible experience for me of what peace from heaven on earth looks and feels like. It was a gift. It was a gift that shook me. <laughs> Later in the week, though, I was at a school sports event. I saw another old friend who hasn't spoke to me in years uh, due to a disagreement. My heart leaped when I saw him. Um, he came walking up the steps, um, came to within three seats of me. Our eyes met. Um, recognized each other, and he looked away and sat down three seats in front of me. It was someone that I always thought would be in the room with me. Someone that I thought I, I would never be separated from. It was someone I thought that I would always worship the Lord with. And then here in that public space, the sadness of our current reality really sunk in. I realized that maybe, maybe reconciliation this side of heaven won't happen. I don't know. I don't have the answers. Where do you find peace in those moments? Where do you find peace when you realize that something is broken beyond your ability to fix? Where do you find peace when restoration doesn't happen right now? Where do you find peace when you experience the pain of separation? I have to admit, living in this tension of things that are unreconciled while struggling to believe 
that Christ will reconcile all of this one day. That's one of the biggest struggles of my life. It's hard to take this text and believe it at face value and then put it into action. But I do know this. I know that Christ is our peace. I know that in Christ we have true peace. I know that Jesus is the one who creates peace between enemies. I know that Jesus has promised to make all things new one day. Not just some things, but all things. That broken relationship, that pain that you walk with, that that gray space that you walk in, Christ has promised to reconcile all things. Walking in that kind of peace. There's no tangible, practical go-dos. Just get on your face before God. And ask Him to renew your hope in heaven. It's the only way I can live in true peace in the midst of this brokenness is to believe that Jesus is my peace who helps me to live at peace even when things don't make sense. When you realize that your peace is found in Christ alone, at the foot of the cross alone, whereby you can fall into the Father's arms alone, then you can start moving towards others so that they can sense the same peace in the arms of our Father alone. The cross of Christ provides vertical peace between God and us, and it creates horizontal peace between believers. The only question that's really left for us is, do you believe that? And if you're struggling to believe that, the only practical step forward is to ask God to help you to believe that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, pray God that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts. That you would be the Prince of Peace for us. There are many in this room that are feeling the immediacy and hardship and wounding that comes from a lack of peace and reconciliation in relationships. And Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to know deep within the inner workings of our souls that you have given us peace. You've reconciled us to our Father in heaven. We have access to him. And it's not just that us that has access to him, but anyone has access to him who has trusted in you. So help us to trust in you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.